This is an 18 Maiden Lane production. Hey, just at the top, uh, just letting you know, we did have a few technical issues, so halfway through this episode, you may well hear a difference in sound, uh, especially from Soph's mic. Um, so apologies for that. Uh, on this episode of Heavenly Features, we are covering But I'm a Cheerleader and Girl Interrupted. Now, uh, a few content warnings for the beginning here. Uh, throughout this episode, we will be talking about conversion therapy, mental health, self-harm, and we do touch on suicide. Hello and welcome to Heavenly Features, a podcast where myself, Sophie, and my friend Kim. Hey, how's it going? Um, we get together every week to talk about film. Uh, Kim lives in France at the moment, so every week we are recommending a film to each other to watch, and then we come together and talk about them. So this week, uh, Kim has chosen... Uh, I've chosen, but I'm a cheerleader for this week. Yes, you have. Um, <laughs> why did you choose this film? I mean, it is just a classic. Like, I know we've both watched this numerous times, both separately and together, but I just love this film so much. And it's, it is, I think, one of, if not the first, it's definitely one of the first, like, queer films I ever saw. And it's definitely the first happy queer film I ever Oh, definitely. I think this was perhaps one of the first overtly happy queer films that I ever saw. Um, and it's such a tongue-in-cheek approach to the topic. Yeah. I think um, before this film, the only other films that I'd ever heard of or seen my memory before this were more kind of tragic stories like Philadelphia and things like that yeah so to watch something that not only the story is so um empowering um but also and bright and happy but also like even like the film itself and its colors and the, how it shows itself is so over the top camp and overtly queer oh, you can't escape 100 percent. especially as well for me when I saw this I would have been a teenager and the fact that mm. it's based around teenagers, where I know there's much more now for teenagers, like queer teenagers to watch. But when we were teenagers, there was so no. like I, this, just the fact that there was a t teenage queer film that didn't feel like it was aimed at teenagers. Like, yeah, it didn't feel like you couldn't watch it because you're a teenager, but it felt it like this. You watch as an adult and it's still such a fantastic movie. Well, because it's, it's a great film and it doesn't matter who the original target audience is. If it's a good film, you can watch it at any age, any stage of your life. You know, if you think about things like 10 Things I Hate About You, oh, Clueless, all these, <laughs> all these classic teen films, um, you can watch as an adult and still enjoy them um, because they are a well-crafted, well-made film. And that is definitely the same with But I'm a Cheerleader. But I'm a Cheerleader just seems to have such a great, cast um and it really i think takes the opportunity to have all these really interesting unique characters some of which play up the um kind of cliches about what it means to be queer so you have um i'm gonna not know any of their names okay <laughs> <laughs> i might be able to help but i'm not promising anything you have uh stereotypically butch uh softball player jan yeah, the sporty the one. one. Who who likes balls. 
Yeah, the one who's actually not even gay. Um, yeah. So it's kind of playing on this idea that if you're a jock, then of course you're a woman jock, you're, of course you're gay. Yeah. Um, if you are slightly more um, effeminate um, or sensitive, oh, of course you're gay. You can't just be uh, a slightly more effeminate or sensitive person. Yeah. Um, the kind of angry goth who, you know, is just upset with the world because she's such a massive dyke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> that uh, kind it, of trope. I just, I love, I love that it plays into all of the tropes in a very, definitely in a very like tongue in cheek way with such a sincere yeah. message underneath it all. Yeah, definitely. And I love that it's clearly made by queer people because oh, so many films you watch that have queer characters in, you're like, oh, these people have never even met a queer person, let alone know any of queer language or queer actions. Like, it's just, it's like, you know, like, same as if you've got, like, a cis man writing a cis woman. You're like, oh, you can tell yeah. that she was written by a man. I think, like, you don't have to, like, embrace all those parts of uh, the community of language of presentation to be a queer person. But I think a lot of people either naturally have that in them or may uh, embrace that part of the community, um, which is why it is significant to see those uh, presentations of those kind of people on screen and why things like queer baiting, where you have people who supposedly act I'm saying this in air quotes, normal, mm-hmm. um, who are uh, meant to be uh, queer and that language is used to try and implicate that they are queer and then they never are. Yes. So here they very much kind of, they're going, oh, you think they're queer? Uh, yeah, they basically are and they do fit into some of these stereotypes uh, for a reason because those stereotypes don't come out of nowhere but it's to such a heightened degree yes. um, that it's also kind of parodying how those people are presented in other media, you know, and things like that. And then so. on, and then on top of it, they've got like not only are they are they showing the the stereotypical queer characters, but because it's such an ensemble cast, they've got mm. the non-stereotypical ones as well. Sure. Like so, it just shows this like wide range of queer people, which is the yeah. way that the queer community. Is. It doesn't go into all aspects of the queer community, but for the aspects yeah. that it does go into, it does it so. Yeah, and I think that um, it also kind of plays with um, your misconcept, well, with your conceptions of what it is to be um, a gay man or or a gay woman. Um, it's that they don't always meet what you expect them to be. No, um, but they also are grounded in, in being real people and you do although it would be nice to see more of their independent um uh specific cultural experiences you do have people from different backgrounds different faiths different um ethnicities um are are there as characters so it shows it's not just like a whitewashed thing that this is something Mm -hmm. where obviously people from all kinds of backgrounds can be queer um and so it, it does take the kind of the moment to kind of to, to shine on on that in a positive way because normally when you watch something it's normally a cis white man or woman yes um who mm-hmm. plays those roles in a lot of, or it certainly used to be around the time that this was filmed yes 100 um and then they definitely play on on your um kind of uh, they play with masculinity really interestingly 
um, particularly like obviously some of the girls present perhaps more masculine and yes. that has to be taken out of them by doing housework very misogynistic <laughs> in many ways um, but that's also being shown how misogynistic this idea of what a woman actually has to be according to this program but even like uh, the the guys the, the exercises they have to do the clothes that they have to wear mm-hmm. the fact that they have RuPaul Charles as their straight <laughs> um, <laughs> coach um, is ridiculous um, well, in so many ways it's so camp he's an ex-gay you know, it's he is. He's famously an ex-gay, <laughs> and I, like his the, his entrance to the film in his uh. straight is great shirt, it just <laughs> oh, it makes my life every time I see it. I love it. Um, but the fact oh, that they do yeah. have all of the different backgrounds, and obviously it does show that all of these different backgrounds have people that can be queer, but it also shows all of these different backgrounds can have homophobia and yeah send people to like some sort of rehab to cure your homosexuality like yeah it's it shows that it's not just a christian thing or a white thing or you know yeah and it it kind of also shows why each individual that is sent there might have a motivating factor to be again i'm using quotations here cured um because i don't believe that you can be cured from being queer because it's nothing to be uh, cured for um (laughs) but i think you see all their different motivations as to why they might submit to this kind of treatment yes um or why they reject it um and most of them well those that do reject it are the ones who who decide that they don't want to participate in the culture that they've been grown up in before whether that's wealth, whether that's the faith that they're a part of, um, and many other reasons, that's the reason why they, they choose not to. They they decide they would rather be themselves and um, not be limited or even um, kind of brutalised by being in a system or being in a culture that perhaps at that time did not serve them. Yeah, absolutely. And also the fact that um, when Larry and Lloyd turn up to show oh, them, them the alternative to being quote cured like the whole point of larry and lloyd is to show that you can have a happy and loving relationship by being yourself like or yeah. or not if you don't want a relationship like you can still be happy like just by being yourself and it's so important to see that in so many different groups it is important to have community and that includes in the queer community as well yeah. um you know it's important to be able to see other people that are like you or that embrace who you are, um, you know whether or not you want to participate in that community to a full extent. You don't have to. No. That's a choice you make. But just being able to see it is really important, and that's why being able to see these sorts of films, particularly at really informative ages, where so you saw it when you were like what a preteen. I probably saw it maybe a year or so afterwards, probably because you showed it to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and but that means that you know it's. It's so important to see that, particularly at times when you are perhaps questioning who you are and your validity and whether you um, deserve to be loved, um, which is often Mm -hmm. a question that you think about when you're going through that kind of turmoil. And also thinking about your external kind of pressures that are pushing you one way or another, whether that's to be um, 
uh, more true to who you are or to do what other people want you to do, which may include curing yourself yeah. or um, hiding yourself yeah. and, and going yeah. along with, with what is expected of you, perhaps, by your parents or your community. Well, you can see that the the when they try and be cured, you can see it when, when Graham gets caught, or when they all get caught, sorry, going to the cocksucker, um, and Graham yeah. deflects and um, says that what she... What a name of the club. <laughs> Honestly, it's the best. Um, <laughs> Graham deflects and says that she has developed feelings for Joel. Um, yes. And you can see Joel clearly doesn't have feelings for Graham, clearly doesn't really understand what's going on, but tries everything in his power to be what he has seen as a good boyfriend like he's like oh get her the cake sorry i keep forgetting like because it just doesn't come naturally to him to be with a woman because he's gay. um but he's trying yeah. everything he can to repress that side of him like that whole part of him yeah because in many ways he probably he hasn't really had to do too much to actually supposedly get the girl interested but now he's like oh and this is the role that i've been practicing to play the straight man yeah can i play it and no <laughs> even, well, even as best as he tries it doesn't come naturally to him yeah. because it's not who he is no. um so and, and that is significant and regardless of what path he chooses if he does what his parents want if, if the therapy is uh, supposedly successful mm-hmm. he will mm-hmm. go on to live a life where he does pretend that with a woman yeah or yeah he could choose not to but it's his choice and we don't really fully get to see what he does but you can tell he 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 has the desire to try and be cured possibly because that's the pressure that's put upon him from home but that's why he's one of the few that graduates because he wants to maybe like kind of repress that part of who he is because he's been told probably his entire life that it's wrong if you're told your entire life being queer is a disease is something to be cured it's so wrong and disgusting and like all of this stuff that you can be told and then someone or even like your faith says that you will go to hell or be punished yeah exactly and your whole family that you love is like repulsed by that lifestyle choice quote unquote of course you're going to do everything you can to cure yourself if you genuinely believe you have a sickness of course you're yeah. going to try and cure yourself but that's that's what's wrong with any of this is that being queer is not a sickness and the fact that people tell children that who they are is wrong and a disease and something to be cured is just disgusting and like you get these people obviously this is a comedy so you're like it's it's funny and like light-hearted but the undertone for the whole film is about how you cannot cure homosexuality yeah because even the people running the center are so overtly queer that it's yeah. clearly not yeah. cured they're not they haven't been cured you can't you can't cure queerness because there is nothing there to be cured well i think also it's rooted a lot in um the patriarchy and misogyny yeah. because either you're a woman who is is not participating in a role where you are the plaything of a man i'm not saying like if you are heterosexual that that is what you are but this is like the patriarchal view of what it is of course if you are not interested in men then you are not serving the need 
of a patriarchal society. And if you're a man who likes a man, then you are not maybe supposedly representative of a patriarchal kind of Superman. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, Superman, uh, did you see the new uh, this like Son of Superman? Uh, no. Um, so... Oh yes. Yeah, so he's bisexual. He is, yes. So the son of Superman is yes. bisexual, and the the folks that wrote that have had mm. to have police protection put on them because of the amount of death threats they've received. Oh God, Jesus! Yeah, it's literally it's literally a comic. It's fiction. It's, I find it so bizarre that you can enjoy something, but just because something doesn't necessarily fit with your beliefs or it goes in a direction that you don't enjoy doesn't mean that you get to threaten people's lives no. or that you get to be an asshole about it. No, you know, we've all watched, we've all watched a series that we thought that wasn't a great ending. Do you go and, you know, harass the person who wrote that? No. Also you just go, wasn't my favorite. <laughs> yes. Or you turn it off or you stop reading it if you really don't like it. But also, yeah, we're both queer as fuck. And I cannot count the amount of straight films and straight uh, TV shows and comics yes. and books and everything that I've read and watched and I have never yeah. once sat there and gone I'm going to write to them because I don't agree with this lifestyle choice and I'm going to threaten their <laughs> life like no you just yeah. watch it and yes you might not be able to relate fully to them being like oh this man's so attractive I want to you know do stuff to him I can't even bring myself to say it <laughs> um, but you you can be like, okay, I can relate to feelings of love or I can relate to feelings of loss or happiness or, oh, hasn't that person got a pretty shirt? You know, like, there's always something yeah, there's you can There's different get ways. But in terms of, like, that's one of the other reasons why I like how overtly, like, over the top that house is. Um, but also how fake it is. Like, even the flowers are not real because everything about it is um a falsehood like this this therapy does not work everything that is being um suggested is outdated views of femininity and masculinity it's um completely um complete hogwash that any of this is going to work yeah um the the woman herself um so it's kathy moriarty i can't remember her name in the film but she is i know i'm i'm awful with names um she herself can't even see how like I keep saying overtly um, how uh, blatantly <laughs> how blatantly um, kind of sexualized um, her own son is um, and fitting a lot of gay stereotypes and and um, even and she clearly she clearly has like seen his gayness and femininity and tried to stamp it out of him because the bit where he he's sipping orange juice through a straw like you know mm. he's got the spiral straw and she goes yeah. she says about oh um don't sip it what have i told you about sipping chug it like a man and yeah. he like tries to chug it and then like is it like he's just got so many very overtly queer like things mannerisms of, yeah. and stuff and the fact that yeah. him and um rupaul i can't remember Rue's name in it now um Mike. They're awful with names. <laughs> Mike. Um, him and Mike are clearly flirting with each other constantly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's all of this is going on 
under the roof of a supposed center that cures exactly what they're yeah well i just do you think that um kathy moriarty um <laughs> do you think that she set this up like this whole conversion therapy place as a response to her own son see okay to try and cure him i always had two minds about it and it was either she set it up to try and cure him or, or herself herself yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um maybe both yeah absolutely but also and they do the same in saved and in miseducation of cameron post and like every mm. film i've seen about conversion therapy they put queer people of the same gender <laughs> in the same room and then they don't go don't fall in love with each other guys like yeah don't fall in love with each other don't have sex don't kiss don't even look at each other um like, in a way that is suggestive of your sexuality don't get me wrong i've been in plenty of rooms with queer people and not like fallen in love with them but i've also been in yeah. rooms with queer people and fallen fully in love with them like and if you're a, a teenager like, in that situation you're going to yeah. trauma bond anyway yeah so you're both coming in you're both sharing an experience um you're both probably in some way rejected by your parents which yep. could be a strong kind of uh uniting moment um you're both full of hormones um, and then just in terms of like ratio of how many people there are, mm-hmm. you know, like think of the percentage of like the chances of that, the probability. I'm throwing all the maths words out. Um, <laughs> the probability, that's what I meant. The probability of you uh, finding someone at the very least that you're attracted to. Yeah. And also comes of it. it. When you're a teenager, like I remember being a teenager, uh, like a queer teenager, if a girl had shown me interest i would have been like i'm in love well also because if you've been rejected by your family you are searching for love yeah in some way whether it's a mother figure a father figure or a romantic interest you'll be searching for that kind of connection and getting that validation in some way yeah absolutely Uh, that's just a natural instinct i don't know but also because we haven't done it so far and i'm impressed quite frankly that we haven't done it yet can we talk about Natasha Lyonne? Uh, forever and always, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you're being very restrained. Oh, I know. Thank you. <laughs> it was really hard. <laughs> um... Oh, my God. She's just the definition of perfection. Her facial expressions in this film are superb. Like, even I'm thinking of all the, like, the, the moment where she's like, I am a lesbian. Oh, and she's um... like, I'm a homo. <laughs> <laughs> and she's crying um or like even like the the moment where she goes to masturbate yes um and the main faces that she's making she's like, oh my god oh my god but like not making any noise and then and then when <laughs> she screams ridiculous. and sees the it's because she sees the two boys um in there. yeah oh she's just she's just perfect and i i just the casting for this film like her oh, her so and Claire Deval, obviously they're they're friends like really good friends in real life so they've got that like chemistry and timing already mm. built in and it just is just such a they're just so good together they really are and they really they really help to hold 
um, the film together. They are like the glue. Like all the other characters are fantastic, but they are the like the central interest, yeah. and for good reason because they are uh, they have such a kind of spark of chemistry between them. Oh, 100%. Um, which is why in like the second act, it's so devastating when you think that Graham is going to turn her back. Oh, it's um, just so heartbreaking. On their, on their relationship. But you can see, like, not only have you got the self-loathing aspect because you've been sent somewhere just for being who you are, but you've got that fear of you're going to lose everything. Like, And all of the parents hold money over their kids. Like, Graham, yeah. Graham's dad is like, no uni- like, no college, no trust fund. Like, you can't come home with us. Like, everyone has this fear of losing everything they've known up until that point and being just left abandoned, homeless, which happens so often. So you can understand why Graham tries to preserve herself, but it's just so heartbreaking. Yeah. And seeing Megan just heartbroken over it but then when she like does go back and win graham back it's just such a beautiful scene and it's like the fact that a little cheer can make you like tear up and so happy it just shows by i think that it point. might be it might be one of the best kind of declarations of love that is not creepy in like a rom-com yeah it's like that and, I mean, I don't know whether it would be a declaration of love in this moment, but certainly of interest. I think there's conflicting moments. But Heath Ledger, when he does his dance on the kind of uh, bleachers um, in 10 Things I Hate About You, those, I think, are like the two classic kind of teen romantic gestures. Yes, absolutely. And I would be absolutely <laughs> mortified if anyone did either of them to me. But I love them yeah. so much. <laughs> oh, definitely, definitely. Now they're just—they're just really cute. We have also neglected so far to speak about one of our favourites of all time, <laughs> Melanie Linsky. Uh, yes, of course. Oh. oh, I love Melanie Linsky. I mean, of course, like our uh, the podcast is like named after one of her films. Yes. Um, so there's clearly some love there for her character. In fact, she props the uh, props pops up in uh, so many films. Yes, um, that I just absolutely love, and she is so brilliant here. And I also love how it is never explained why she is not American. No, it's just <laughs> she like, just yep, has a New Zealand accent, and that's it. Yes, and just <laughs> every it. scene she's in, you cannot help but. Like, she's playing half the time a character where you're like, well, you're being a bit of a bitch, but you just love her. Like, the bit where she's showing Megan round and is, like, um, walking, like, walking, like, looking at the camera as if the camera's Megan, but, like, walking away from it. It's just, like, perfection. But then she gets to the chart where she's like, oh, you know, the first step is to admit you're a homosexual. And we all passed yesterday. Uh, like as in you're so behind Megan like yeah and it's just such like a bitchy moment but then later on you see her flirting with Jan yeah she is the like the goody two-shoes yeah because I think that's probably a role she's always had it's part of who she is and even in this kind of horrific situation where she's been sent here because she's a lesbian she is 
still focusing on like, okay, even if it's not like, how do I cure myself? It's like, how do I pass the class? How do I win the situation? Um, that just seems to be a personality. I think that a lot of people, if they suppressed who they were, could probably pass in society as being heterosexual. And so I think that's another reason why everything is so easy at this place to pass, but so many of them find it so difficult because it's it's not easy to do those simple tasks no. if the task isn't simple to you. That's the thing. So... I, like, I could easily, like, go through the steps that are there and pass in a sense, but it that's only without putting any emotions behind it. Like, yeah. I could I could tick off all of the boxes. I could say, oh, I'm a homosexual. I could find my root. I could, like, <laughs> you know, have, like, fake sex Simulated with someone. Sex. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm. But the emotions behind it are just so raw. And, you, yeah. like, it's just, it would just be so hard. So speaking mm. of roots, what what would you say? What would you reckon your root would be? Well, if if Mary put you on the spot and said, "Right, Sophie, you can't pass. You you will never be heterosexual if you don't tell me your root." <laughs> Gosh, I don't know. No. Um, I played hockey at an all girls school. Okay. I mean, that's... me too. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, yep. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, what would be your maybe route? your short haircuts as a child? Um, my that route. would be it. Short haircuts <laughs> as a child. Um, I think my route would be um, oh pot- <laughs> potentially one of my speech impediments as a kid was I couldn't say k, so I called myself Tim, and everyone else around me called me Ooh. Tim as like a like yeah. oh she can't say Kim. Uh, so I or think... if we're if we're going to do it in like a blame the parents kind of way, like they do in the film, mm-hmm. perhaps that your your parents allowed you to dress up as main male characters for fancy yes. dress. Oh, my favorite, my favorite game because my best friend as a little kid was incredibly girly. Like she, it was just the like the most princessy, girly person, like polar opposite to me. And I loved it because it meant... Because her favourite game was playing princesses and princes. So it meant I could always be the prince rescuing her. That's your route. Yeah, that was... Oh, <laughs> being, I used to love it. to be the prince. Forced, yes. Oh, absolutely. No, no, definitely forced. <laughs> and I just... I used yeah. to love it every... Like, I would be around at her house or she'd be around at mine constantly. And I would always be like, yes, she's my damsel in distress. I must go rescue her. <laughs> like... Oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, I have many, many roots. (laughs) I think you do. There's layers to your queerness. Um, (laughs) So kind of wrapping up a little bit. So was there like a specific kind of thing that you took away from this film that you wanted to kind of share? Um, Honestly, this film, I just think it's the, the... it's so unique. It's such a unique film. I am still to see a film that even comes close to being like this. Like, it's just... It's such a funny, comedic, beautiful, romantic, heartbreaking film all wrapped in to this, like, campy, over-the-top package that has just 
such a stellar cast like this the set is just beautiful like everything about it is just done so well and it's got this message behind it still that is you can't change someone from being queer and you can make the best of a bad situation and like learn to love yourself which is really hard and it's also it's not just learning to love yourself because that's such a an easy thing to say and such a hard thing to do but just to learn to accept who you are and not try and fight that will mean that you're immediately a bit happier I think, unfortunately, it's the kind of film that both I don't necessarily think would get made today, Mm. perhaps, but also, unfortunately, it's still really relevant because conversion therapy still happens. I mean, relatively recently in the UK, which is where I live and where Kim was born, but she's not currently (laughs) in here, um, they still are failing to pass laws where they fully ban completely outright conversion therapy recently they banned conversion therapy except for um religious something with like religious um reasons which i think many people would argue is the most prominent reason for conversion therapy to still exist yes that people have Mm -hmm. religious faith that perhaps teach or um they are told by their their um ministers their clergymen um that being homosexual is wrong um and for that they then send these kids off to get um converted into being straight people uh, to be heterosexual so it's the most dangerous group of people for um actually using conversion therapy and yet they are protected by the law which and is certainly just... in, in lots of other countries it's still really really prevalent there is so many more countries that have conversion therapy as opposed to don't like the majority vast majority of countries have conversion therapy still like it's very rare that you find a country that has a full ban on conversion therapy like i shared i shared something the other day on on instagram about it and it was just it was shocking shocking to see how few countries have a full ban on conversion therapy yeah like it's 2021 and we are still being sent away to make us straight yeah time's up yeah we shouldn't be doing it anymore no we need to we need to fight for um we need to fight for those who have gone through it to get the support that they need and we need to fight for it to become out, um, kind of outlawed or banned in um, in all countries. Yeah, oh, and that 100%. is a fight that we need to continue. Like, oh, it's it, like people are saying, oh, well, you've got equal rights now. What are you still fighting for? It's like, firstly, yes, we can now get married in quite a lot of countries. Still not everywhere by any stretch of the imagination because it's still fucking illegal, as in to be queer in a lot of countries. But the, the people, like, I've heard it so much in the last few years, like, oh, what, what are you still fighting for? You've got equality. And it's like, just because you can get married, firstly, that could be taken away at any point. If you look at what happened in America, where they got marriage equality and then it got taken away, 
and they got it again. Like, and also, our queer children are still being sent away, still being killed. Look at our trans sisters being murdered at such a disproportionate rate. And, of course, there's still stuff to still fight for. Yeah. I think also, like, sometimes the the master... uh the milestones that we do reach, the things that we do manage to achieve, you're right, sometimes they can be taken away. But there are also things that maybe only benefit, only benefit certain people in the community and it is not necessarily a benefit for everyone in the community. So it's not true equality if not everybody either has access to it or needs those things. Not everybody needs to get married. It is, it is a valid thing for people to want and, and to participate in. But although it's it's a great step forward, it doesn't solve homophobia. It doesn't solve transphobia. Um, and there's a lot of people who don't want to get married, so it doesn't make a difference in their life. And the, um, the other so thing... So there are other things to fight for. Yeah, and, and yes, you can get married, but it doesn't mean you're safe to hold your wife or your husband's hand. Yeah. Like, it's... Yeah, there's so much to fight for. And... That's why pride is important. Pride is such an important thing to remember why we're doing it as well and remember why it started as a riot and not just take it as an opportunity for big brands to be like, hey, gays, like, we'll support you for one month of the year and then forget all about you. And it's not just an opportunity for people to party. Don't get me wrong, love yeah. a good party. But it's so important to remember that there's still so much to fight for and to remember the people who came before us that have made it so we can have pride marches yeah pride is pride is a protest yeah uh, but pride is also a party yeah but i think neither one should take um the full space of the day yeah. or, the, or the week or, or the event um i think it should be a combination where we can come together and celebrate who we are and what we have overcome um, and almost celebrate in the face of the people that um, dislike us or, or are prejudiced against us. But we should also still be shouting our, our voices loud and proud and trying to make changes. Yeah, so that's our take on But I'm a Cheerleader. Um, so, Soph, what film have you chosen for us this week? So I chose a film that I can't even tell you how many times I've watched. Um, and most of those times would have been with you. Um, it's Girl Interrupted. Um, <laughs> What a fucking classic film. Uh, it was a film that influenced us so much as teenagers. I can't tell you how many times we watched it then, let alone since then. Um, and we just became obsessed. Particularly you obsessed with Angelina Jolie, I believe. Um, we both read the book. It was just something <laughs> yep. that we consumed so much. Oh, and we would like quote it constantly. Oh, we would definitely. sing the soundtrack at, <laughs> at fucking parties. Yeah, I think it really resonated for us. I mean, not only is it just a great film, um, but uh, both of us were having uh, significant mental health issues at the time. So uh, being able to see those characters and, and, and um, explore their different like psychoses uh, <laughs> and issues... Um, uh, was always something that kind of drawed our attention to it um, because we, you know, had such uh, an affinity with people who struggled in that way. 
And also, I became, like, a little bit obsessed with Winona Ryder in this film. She really served so much kind of chic, androgyny kind of aesthetic and um, this kind of moody atmosphere kind of surrounded her. And it was just really enthralling. So uh, <laughs> she was definitely like oh, a pull in for me. 100%. She, I mean, she's been a pull in for me since uh, I saw her in like Beetlejuice. And oh, just like when I was a little kid, I was obsessed with her. And it has not changed. Like, she is just incredible. <laughs> yeah. I really like, uh, in this film, we go in through this journey, through this experience with her as Susanna Kaysen, who was a real person who wrote a book about her experiences of being in what would have been called a mental institution or a yes. mental a sanatorium, probably, actually, in the 1960s. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, her experiences of having, um, at the very least, a depressive episode, if not borderline personality disorder, which is what is suggested as she's diagnosed she's... with in the film. Um, yeah. And she's a really interesting character because through her, she get we get to see um, a different world that you perhaps didn't see so much of then because people were sent away perhaps for the rest of their lives if they had mental health challenges um and uh so through her we got to see like a different side to the 1960s um and to her kind of young experiences um and for her because she is uh not so affected by a, a condition that is untreatable Mm -hmm. uh, that she has to make a choice as to whether she is going to uh, fall full force into her kind of mental health struggles, whether she's going to embrace them and resist um, treatment or whether she is going to make the choice. And for her, it can be a choice to try and receive treatment and get better. Which is also, it's such a hard thing, like... Like, I, I still, to this day, suffer with my mental health, like, quite substantially. And it's such a a hard choice to... Like, it, firstly, like, having mental health is not a choice. Like, you, you just have it. But you can, in some circumstances, as you were saying, make that choice to seek help. Mm. And it's just, it's such a hard choice to make. So watching her struggle through that and struggle to make that choice and decide that she wants to get help to get to a point where she can live her life the way she wants to uh, yeah. is so inspiring and it's such a great story and it's such a, a narrative that we should see a hell of a lot more. And I think it also kind of speaks to what women were experiencing at the time and of course other people in society as well. But the 1960s was a time of great change when women were starting mm -hmm. to feel empowered but then they are also being limited by society that won't allow them to grow and be more independent aren't we all at a similar age to her just out of our teenage years or maybe in our teenage years also probably just uh, having similar experiences in some ways to having gone through what is normally quite a traumatic period going through puberty um, and having mm -hmm. to make choices about what you're going to do with the rest of your life yeah, absolutely. It's it's like 
such a hard time. It's it's such a ridiculous like age to be at. Like I look back at my teenage years and early twenties and that's when you're meant to make all these huge life changes decisions and you feel like you should especially as a teenager, you feel like you should know everything about yourself. And you look back as an adult and you're like, Why the fuck did I think I should know everything? Know what I want, know who I should be, know where I'm going, like it's just it's such a confusing time yeah oh definitely um and then when we get inside the sanatorium there are so many different characters to explore um oh, we're having it <laughs> we're having a bit of a clear deval week because of course she is in both butter cheerleader and girl interrupted <laughs> yes um, <laughs> which, honest, I, I am down to have a clear deval week every week I think she's incredibly <laughs> talented oh definitely so yeah, we've got, so she is um, somebody who is a pathological liar. She shares a room with Georgina, that's the character's name. There's also Brittany Murphy, uh, who is fantastic in this. Angelina Jolie uh, as Lisa. Uh, um, she's brilliant as well. Um, there, Elizabeth Moss, I think, is in it. Elizabeth Moss plays Polly. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, uh, there's Whoopi Goldberg, who is, just brings so much to the film. Like, she's the perfect person you would want in charge. In that she's, yeah, she's, she's empathetic, but she has control. Uh, she yeah, treats she's them like tough, people. Yeah, she's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So oh. I think it's... She's, she's a, a fantastic character. And also, like, her character in the, the book is not African-American. So through her character in the film... Uh, there's also um, some issues of race that we get to explore that is which prevalent sorry. because there is uh, obviously they they watch the assassination of um, Martin Luther King Jr. Ma- yeah, um, on on the TV, um, which is also talked about in the book, um, but it also allows for a wider talk about uh, race, having her being such a prominent character. Yeah, and I loved I loved the way that. Uh, when Janet was being racist towards her, she's like, oh, she thinks that bothers me. Yeah. And then when uh, when Susanna does it to her, you know that it's just Susanna trying to dig in and trying to get in a very brattish toddler teenage way. Well, she's a very spoiled person, really. Yeah. And you, ju- I just think it adds so much to the, the narrative and the arc of the story of and the fact, the way that Whoopi Goldberg's character deals with it, you're just like, okay, yes, you are, you're fair and kind and the sort of person I would want to be looking after me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, she she's always kind of had that role, uh, I think, in a lot of people's lives who grew up in perhaps like the, the 90s and stuff, where she was in so many family films. She is the figure, regardless of what her role was in those films. She's normally the figure that you think of that, that cares for you in some form, uh, because that's kind of the personality that always shines through. And I can't help but think that must be part of who Whoopi Goldberg is herself, yeah. to shine through in so many of her characters. Yeah. So this film also definitely influenced the way we uh, talk to each other. Um, <laughs> there are oh, certainly things that we yes. quoted from this all the time as children, as teenagers. Um, what were some of your faves? <laughs> okay, so one of my one of my all time faves is uh, Lisa, and this just shows it's such a red flag 
to me now. I I wanted this tattooed on me when I was a teenager. <laughs> Um, like I designed it and everything it was going to be in typewriter font um, okay and, I'm intrigued uh, it was the razors pains you r- rivers are damp acid stains you drugs cause cramp guns aren't lawful nooses gi- give gas smells awful you might as well live who's that, that was... by because that's a poem isn't it I do, I, the only place I've ever heard it is in Girl Interrupted when, when Lisa says it um, oh, but it probably it is an actual thing um, but sure I was just like oh amazing like and I wanted it down my arm, which I was then like, oh, it's going to have such poa- poetic like meaning because like I used to self-harm. So I was like, oh, it's going to, you know, there's going to be scars there and then this. And it's like, oh, it's a survival thing. And I was just like, obviously, bratty teenage Egypt. But I just, it really resonated with me. Like, I mean, the whole film did. Yeah, I think we were definitely like in a place where any kind of well let's face it at, at that time in our lives uh, this might be a bit of an overshare but I think we were all kind of self-harming self-medicating trying to yep. escape certain issues that we were having um, and so uh, seeing those seeing characters do that there was a connection there I can't deny it that seeing other people who hurt themselves intentionally to try to feel something um to stop some of the numbness or whatever it is that was certainly one of the reasons i was infatuated with the movie because it was very real to me 100 percent. and i think um you know you know at the the bit where it's actually the end of the film but they also have the, the beginning of the film where winona Ryder is saying um have you ever thought your train moving when sitting still have you ever stolen when you've had the cash like yeah all of that i was just like all of that and i think you as well were the same oh definitely kids it was just like a hundred percent that all of these little things that you could just pass over if you're otherwise healthy but if you fixate on it yeah and that is hard that is a dangerous to fixate on it and that's yeah. where the issues start to come but also that was i when i was re-watching this i found that very meta saying when yeah. you have the cash obviously with Winona Ryder's personal issues in the past as well yes. um, obviously this her problems were after this but yes but it was very um we're watching it now telling it of true mental health issues though. yeah definitely that those are sorts of things when you are uh going through some kind of mental instability that you do irrational things that you do um, things uh, to for the thrill of it sometimes as well. Um, yeah, whether it be for the thrill or whether it just be like dangerous for yourself or dangerous for others around you. It's it's not you're not rationally thinking about things in the way that you would necessarily at other times. Yeah. So the poem, by the way, is called "Resume" by Dorothy Parker. Oh, amazing! Uh, from ni- from nineteen twenty six was when it was first copyrighted. Female poems, love it. Yeah, is that the whole poem, or is there is there more of it? That's the whole poem. All right. Well, I love a Dorothy. <laughs> <laughs> You're so gay. I'm a friend um, of Dorothy. Exactly. <laughs> 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 what about you? What about you? I know obviously those are two standout ones for me, and I think that the the, the have you ever stolen when you've had the cash and stuff was stand up for you? Yeah. But what about you? Do you have any other quotes in it 
that you really <laughs> resonated with you? Well, I kind of feel bad because it was such a uh, significant part of the story. But we always used to shout at each other, Your heart is cold! <laughs> yes, we did! Oh my god. Um, we, so... Anyone who hadn't seen the film must have been like, again, we're ra- waving giant red flags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but we just used to shout that at each other all the time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and in some ways it was true. Um, yes. <laughs> Definitely, um, and then we I think were a lot all of dead it. Inside. We were, um, <laughs> or felt it anyway. But I think also certainly some of the songs really resonated for us. I know we both had an <gasps> yes. unhealthy obsession with um, "End of the World," which yes. is um, oh, who's it by? Um, it's uh, but it's it's the one where Daisy hangs herself. Yes, I mean the I mean um, the song itself is very like haunting. Oh, it is, and I I really like kind of like nineteen sixties pop songs anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I think it says a lot about us. Uh, it's by Skeeter Davis. Um, it says a yeah, lot. I would not have guessed that. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> you know how I knew it because I looked it up and it's on my car playlist. <laughs> So, still listening okay, maybe, to it. Maybe take that off your car playlist. I don't know if you should be listening to that while operating heavy machinery. <laughs> maybe not. I just <laughs> fucking love the song. Um, and that was certainly a song we were obsessed with. And then the song we always used to sing at school was Downtown by Petula oh, Park. Which is just a legendary song. I think that as as difficult and as tough as issues with mental health can be, I think if you manage to find other people that they might not have the same experiences or, or kind of roots for their <laughs> mental health. <laughs> Bring it back. Uh, <laughs> they um, certainly uh, can be the best support system that you can have. And I think that's what is beautifully displayed in this film is that they all come together. They all support each other. They all help each other out. They all We, we hear at the end about how some of them um, still run into each other and see each other after the hospital some don't that's such a beautifully written quote i think where susanna says some i've seen some never again yeah and then she goes on to say but it they changed like they all touched her life in some way and i was just like oh it's so beautiful well because like in the book uh she uh mentions that she sees Georgina. Georgina goes and like lives on a farm i think and gets married um and Which she also I, i'm sorry dream life living on a farm well especially for me being... to a woman but <laughs> <laughs> well yeah the thing also uh is, is her obsession with um the wizard of oz she's living yes. the life of dorothy almost um, yes being i just the really farm. hope there's no uh hurricanes well yeah um and then um she runs into lisa in times square with her son this yes Lisa's son i think and they have a fleeting kind of reconnection. Um, but it's it's really clear that these have been really informative and kind of long lasting. Well, they've, they, on yeah, they've life. been so tr- transformative. Like they've just transformed. They've all they've all transformed each other. And I think that goes like, obviously, they're going through something that is such a big section of their lives like it's a big thing that they're cut off from the outside world they're in yeah this place together 
but I think that's kind of similar even to like if you take it to like a school thing or a uni thing you know you meet these people in these situations or like when I went farming we did I did three months in a hostel with people like you you're in these intense situations for not necessarily the longest period of time but you're all there together Mm. and it just forms these bonds that you don't necessarily ever see the people again but no, you that's have true. that shared experience and it changes changes your path a bit and you remember them. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. For somebody to impact your life does not mean that they have to be someone who's in your life forever. They could be a, a fleeting pass, um, no. somebody who's there for a very short period of time. But I think it's important that she also influences them and she also uh, has an impact on their life because when she decides to uh, receive treatment and actually... Uh, try and get better well obviously it works for many of the others because they too leave the sanatorium at some point in the future it's it's a having a positive I don't want to use the word role model but that sort of thing is always a good thing like you if you see someone who is in a similar situation to you thriving Mm. it it doesn't necessarily motivate you, but at least it shows you that it's possible. It is yeah. possible to survive. It's possible to get through whatever you're going through. It's possible to thrive. It's possible to succeed. Whereas well, if you she... never see anyone who is like you or looks like you or like how you can't relate to it at any time or any point, like if you can't see anyone who's like you succeeding or thriving, you don't believe that you can. Well, because it's, it, it's kind of obvious to see that she is the example of playing the game and through doing that, becoming better or more stable, uh, being able to cope better and therefore being able to leave. And the only other people they've really seen leave have has been either Lisa who leaves and then is, is dragged well, back. She, and she and, escapes. Uh, yeah, under custody. Um, or it's... Um, Daisy. 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 And they all know that that was corrupt and unfair because her father essentially paid her to get out. And she was sleeping with one of the high up uh, psychiatrists. Yeah, that was, you remember, oh, that was the rumour going round the place. And that's why he cried the woman, the man, sorry, the man who came to collect Susanna and the cat. And he was crying in the rain. They mentioned in the film at some point that they were fucking. Oh, I must have missed that. Right. It's it's very quick. It's like yeah. Right. It's so they like... are they they have they don't have any reason to think that they can get out, and that's why they play the games and they they don't always accept the treatment and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, yeah. But she, I don't know if it's the only reason why they get out, but certainly she serves as an example that it's achievable. Yeah, and then and also I love I love in this film the the eclectic diversity of different issues that everyone has like you've got people who have anorexia Mm. in there with people who have like it shows the time obviously but you have like schizophrenic people and people with anorexia and borderline personality disorder and uh, pathological liars and like everyone in there together all having this shared experience and yeah. being able to relate to each other 
And obviously it shows their differences. And a lot of the time Lisa is the character that shines a light on them. But also a lot of the time she's the character that brings their experiences together as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And um, one question I wanted to kind of ask you is one of the big things that kind of is the reason for um, Susanna needing that uh, kind of support and therapy and stuff is she's diagnosed as having borderline personality disorder. Um, But one of her chief symptoms or chief reasons for being assigned that is because of her alleged promiscuity. Yes. Do you think that is more a comment on um, gender uh, relationships, gender expectations of the time, that she would have that, perhaps a man would not? Mm -hmm. Oh, 100%. And I think at one point they even say, she says to Dr. Wick, um, Mm. she says, oh, so how many people do I have to fuck to become promiscuous and how many people would a man have to fuck and she like says one two yeah ten for herself and then for a man she's like ten twenty a thousand showing the hypocrisy of of the gender divide and her being perhaps a more liberated woman in a time that was unwilling to accept that yeah because it was it was slowly changing and the like the older generation and i don't just mean age-wise i mean the the mentality of yeah were very much trying to protect their views and their values which included people not being promiscuous quote unquote yeah which is just whereas the 60s was also a time for like dropping acid and going and fucking and having a good time and embracing your body and your Mm. autonomy over your body yeah me speaking as yeah. someone who wasn't born till the late eighties. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's certainly, uh, and at the very least, the kind of image that you have of, of uh, a person has of that time. Yeah, absolutely. So. And yeah, I just, I mean, I I do find obviously one of the other things she had was her her zoning out or losing time and mm. going in and out of different things, and like obviously if it gets to the point where she's genuinely losing time and genuinely like not sure where she is then that is an issue but also she is a creative person like she's a writer so she would be in her head quite a lot so it's it's sometimes i wonder whether it was all genuine moving around time-wise and her spacing out completely or whether it was her just being in her head so much and not wanting to be in reality because she didn't like reality. And I don't mean she's choosing mm. to feel, by the way, if that's what, how that came across. That's not how I meant it. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Like, is she uh, somebody who is in full control? Or is she yeah. somebody who is... Um, perhaps more likely to be kind of drawn into fantasy because of her creativity. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, and I just... I do think... I do find it fascinating by the, the the difference of who would have been put in a treatment facility then compared to the 80s, compared to the 90s, the 2000s, and so on, how different it is and mm. what the criteria is. But it's certainly interesting to kind of look at 
um, how it was in the past and to see if we've made any kind of significant changes moving forward. I guess like they're on a very low security ward. Yes. So we only see those that are the most, have the most chance of leaving, of, of, of not being treated, but being, um, having, uh, enough therapy to make, uh, enough of a change to be able to cope in the real world. Um, yes. but obviously we don't see what else happens. And of course, but the, they're only really there because they have parents that can afford to send them there or because they have, um, been sent there by court judges and things like that. Yes. The lack of control you have when you sign yourself into something like that or when you're put into something like that, it's sometimes obviously for your own good, having that autonomy taken away and decisions made for you. But a lot of time, as a, especially as a woman, you've already had that taken away from you so many times growing up, especially back mm. in the 60s, um, that it does kind of feel like oh, you're just you're having more autonomy taken away from you. Yeah. Well, like, of course, also in the past, sometimes people were sent places to be sent away and not be in society anymore. Yeah. I mean, there's so many stories. My my dad, for example, has told me so many stories about when he was growing up, not not because of mental health, but um, he would be friends with girls as a teenager and they'd suddenly disappear for a few months. And everyone would be like, oh, they just went to visit some aunts or, oh, yeah, they just went up the country and they'd come back after a few months and no one would talk about it. And they were being sent away to give birth if they'd been pregnant yeah. uh, with the nuns and the nuns would take the kids away. And yeah, and it's just yeah. like the lack of control and autonomy you have. Yeah. 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 That certainly happened in the in England as well. It certainly happened in America yeah. um, that people would conceal um unwed mothers and then mm -hmm. usually take the child away or the child yeah. would be paid for to go um away to boarding school be cared for by somebody else and would never have a relationship with their um like maternal mother well because it quote brings such shame on the family which is yeah. such bullshit but it's the same as in this where uh Susanna's mum was worried yeah. about what they would say at christmas for the christmas yeah. party they're worried about appearances, not about recovery. Yeah. Um, you could argue that about um, Polly, the fact that she looks the way she does, you know, yeah. who, you know, that her parents don't, don't want that conversation, don't want that stigma. Um, yeah. You could say that about um, obviously um, being gay. Um, yeah. The parent does not want necessarily want uh, the, the child that is going to kind of flout expectations of what a woman yeah. should be doing um, or the or the unquote promiscuous unconventional starving artist yeah or the um <laughs> or, or like the uncontrollable manipulative sociopath as they would have been yeah. called then you know or someone um, like georgina who i really want to know more about her backstory like yeah. why she why she obviously i know that technically you can just be a pathological liar from nothing but I would love to yeah. know the backstory of of when it started and whether you whether it developed through childhood and what like mm. that or whether she, whether she was sent there because she became too dangerous for herself or whether yeah. she was sent there because she was an inconvenience. Yeah, 
because she seems so placid and sweet and but childlike as well yes so is it that you got bored of looking after her as a parent or Mm. she was a danger it's just it's fascinating to all of the different reasons why you can end up yeah being and the double standards as well because obviously we talked earlier about how the promise promiscuity Mm. of Susanna but apparently it's also sanctioned to give your boyfriend a blowjob in the bedroom if you've got 15 minutes on visitation it's like well that's that's allowed but if she's out in the in the like real world she she's not allowed to do those sorts of things like it's it's interesting like it's bizarre that that's the reason for her being there and yet it's not encouraged but it's allowed knowingly allowed well i know that obviously valerie went in and said you've got privileges why don't you go for a walk but everyone else just opened the door and was like oh sorry and shut the door again yeah Exactly, and it's like, is did you do that because you are like, oh, you should be allowed to do whatever, or are you doing that because you're embarrassed by sex? But also, like, she had privileges. She wasn't with a member of staff in the grounds, and therefore, is uh, Valerie saying, "Go Give him and blow cop off behind the bush." <laughs> yeah, go and cop off outside where you won't be interrupted. Yeah, yeah, you it's, know? that's another bit actually of Cynthia I love when. Um, uh, not to do with sex sorry it just popped into my head when um, Lisa has had has taken the piss out of uh, Polly and Polly yes. runs away and Cynthia is obviously trying to emulate Lisa Yeah. so she runs and shuts herself in the room and Cynthia turns around and pretends to laugh Yeah. and does this really like over the top laugh and it's just like Oh, you you don't actually know the reason you're in there. Yeah. So you're trying to fit in. And that's another thing with the whole queerness. You obviously mm. your whole life try and fit in to the heteronormative society, like growing up. Mm. So but she's also... probably used to changing her personality to fit. Yeah. Well, she kind of emulates, she wants to emulate um, Lisa, perhaps, because that might give her a more legitimate reason for being there. Whereas she yeah. can't change or be cured of her queerness. No, because uh, it's not an illness. <laughs> it's not, funnily enough. <laughs> so, um, that was fun to go down memory lane and revisit a genuinely cracking good film. Oh, um, I'm, so, I'm so glad that you suggested that one. Oh, it was just, it was so nice to go back. It had to be done. So, <laughs> before and may we I just of... say... Yeah. What a fucking cast. Oh, it's a brilliant cast. What a cast. Brilliant. Um, it's rare to get a cast that is such... It's really an ensemble cast in so many ways. Yes, you could argue that Angelina Jolie maybe steals the show a little bit. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, to, before we kind of wrap up for this week, um, I guess we've got to talk about what films we're going to be watching next week. What we're going to be talking about. Yes, absolutely. All right, well... Uh... Next week, I have chosen for us to watch uh, the film Inception. Oh, interesting. I have not seen that. Okay, it's I, I like it. Um, I'm not going to tell you much about it other than the fact that Elliot Page is in it, and I love him. So, okay. You know. um, all right, so what film have you chosen for us? So I am choosing the film Now Voyager with Betty Davis, Claude Rains, and uh, Paul Henreid. Okay, well, remember to rate, review, and subscribe, uh, and follow us on social media. Uh, We are on Instagram at Heavenly Features Pod. 
Excellent. We're also on Letterboxd at HFPod or Heavenly Features Pod. Uh, you can find us on there and follow along um, and see what kind of films we've been watching. Perfect. All right. Well, have a good week and we shall see you next time. Heavenly Features is an 18 Maiden Lane production.